to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. And I'm Dwayne. And I'm Sammy. And on this episode, Dwayne, I'm going to let you do the honors. What are we reviewing? On this episode, guys, we're going to have to keep it faster and more intense to be able to make it through because I know there's going to be a ton of rabbit trails. There's going to be a ton of trips to Beggar's Canyon. It's going to have to keep focused faster, more intense, guys. This is Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope, or just Star Wars. Or it's it's Star Wars. Star Wars. It's all right. It's just Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I think um, from the days when me and Dwayne were trying to figure out how to put a podcast together and butchering a long, long, long mammoth, unlistenable two episode of Solo, <laughs> I, I have this hunch in the back of my mind that the whole reason Dwayne was willing to go through all this headache was to do an episode on A New Hope. <laughs> I'm, re- I'm retiring after this. Uh, <laughs> this is his one song, folks. I think it was a plot, and so we've we've arrived, and now he's going to retire. No, in, in all seriousness, uh, you know, I am the Star Wars super fan in the room. I believe this has been my fandom since I can remember being a fan of something. So and this uh, one is your favorite one, isn't it? Of all this the Star Wars is <clears throat> this is my probably sentimental favorite. Okay. I have a sentimental favorite and I have an actual favorite that I, that I enjoy watching probably more than this one, but sentimentally, this is probably it. I remember seeing the droids walking across the TV screen when I was so little. I remember the toys, the three and three quarter inch plastic figures, you know, five points of articulation. What else do you need? There you go. (laughs) Do you have a, a similar feeling, Sammy? Are you sentimental in the same way? Uh, you know, I am because in all honesty, you know, this is if I was talking about my nerd origin story, you know, this is one of the foundations. This is one of the defining moments of that. So, um, you know, whether it be the toys, the movies, uh, all of just the little tie ins and everything from television specials to, you know, bleeding into the Muppet show, you know, yes. all of these types of things. I mean, you know, Star Wars, like I said, it's one of the pillars of nerddom for me. So, see, I, I think this is where me being a little bit younger than you guys and being just a little bit weirder is going <laughs> to is, is going to hurt this episode because. I wasn't a Star Wars fan when I was young, and yeah. and being younger, the whole trilogy was out before I ever saw any of them. I mean, I was right. three years old when Return of the Jedi came out, and so right. I saw the thing as a complete thing. I, there's, I, I have no individual feeling for Star Wars. I didn't, I didn't have this thing as an individual movie, and yeah. and I was a weird kid. I was more into Tolkien and Dune. So, yeah. well, see, I, I was going to say your your influences. Uh, Jamie, we're, we're, like you say, Dune primarily in, in Tolkien. Yeah. So, you know, Dune really influenced Star Wars. Uh, and you can tell with the desert planet. There has to be a desert planet. Right. And the and, dead sandworm in the background. And, yeah, exactly. the, the sandworm skeleton or the crate yeah. dragon as it was uh, retconned to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the, um, <laughs> you know, Lucas actually tried to get rights to Dune. Couldn't do that. it. He yeah. tried to get rights to Buck Rogers. Flash Gordon couldn't do it. So he he winds up with his own mythology, and I think we're all the better for it. But yeah, yeah. so you're a, I was three years old when Star Wars came out. So and I honestly don't remember a time really without Star Wars. <clears throat> it's exactly. some of my earliest childhood memories. 
Yeah. Uh, how old were you, uh, Sam, when or where was Star Wars when you were born? I know you're a little I, younger than me. I was probably getting ready to turn two. Okay. So I'm, I'm just a little bit younger okay. than you. So I was probably I getting ready. Were, I was getting close to two at that okay. point. I thought you were a little bit further behind me there, but yeah, so yeah, real close. Yeah, I was I was getting ready to turn three, so you were getting ready to turn two. Mm-hmm. Um, guys, if we're going to slap a grade on this thing, I know I've already given my grades for the entire <laughs> saga, essentially. <laughs> so again, this is our... And, and now I'm, I'm feeling at home. I'm, I'm having my... Han and Chewy moment walking onto the balcony. <laughs> right, I'm a home. I'm in the OT. You know, I'm I'm a home. So of course, the original trilogy for me. Just go ahead and mark it down. New Hope, Empire, Jedi, A plus. Yeah, you tipped your hand in January. You gave your grade for every Star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sammy, I want to save mine. You you want to go next? Okay. Uh, you know, for me, honestly, I have to go A plus also. And part of that is nostalgia. Part of that is just looking at this movie and then seeing how it influenced everything that came after, whether it be in the cinema or on television. Uh, you know, this was one of those huge cultural shifts. And just as far as a movie, every time I've watched it, I've loved it. And this is actually my favorite favorite star wars movie oh, hands down wow. okay even yeah. above empire yes it is actually okay. i know i, I know love, a lot of folks love empire i love empire but this is my favorite one wow well i have i have very complicated feelings about this movie and i actually have to give two separate grades on it oh, okay. um See, because I've never lived in a world like you're talking about the the, the shift that happened mm-hmm. uh, because of this movie. I live I'm, I have no awareness of a world before Star Wars. Like I existed completely after the seismic shift that Star Wars created. And so I, I'd never experienced that. And so I, I can't relate to that. You know, Star Wars changing the world and changing you know pop culture. I, I, I've got no you know way to, to measure that. And so but so as just as a fun adventure flick, it's an A minus. Um, just for me, but I've, but I've got a second grade I'm getting ready to give. Okay. So just, but it's, but it's, it's, I like what it did because it changed science fiction because science fiction before was like Star Trek. It was a little bit drier. It was a little bit more cerebral, you know, it, it, hopefully, um, at times, <laughs> I guess. Um, but Star Wars was just, it was a fun adventure movie that was science fiction. And so yeah. on the, on the, on those terms, it's an A minus. It's not a perfect movie. It's got flaws. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Sammy and Dwayne, um, <laughs> but it's an A minus, but, but see, I can't see it as anything, but a star Wars movie. And as a star Wars movie, there's so much in the first one that's not developed yet. That hasn't been really been thought through. And I mean, the, the, there's no understanding really what the force actually is in this movie right. or, or what that's a Jedi true. knight actually is or how the rebellion works or what the empire actually is. And so just as a Star Wars movie and how it fits with the rest of them, it's just a B plus. There's just so much that's just needed to be worked on. But as a, if we could take it on its own, I'll give it an A minus. If I'm fitting it into Star Wars, it's a B plus. Okay. So, okay. okay I mean, you come out of the A's there. So Sam, we're up for a, a lynching after we record. <laughs> I, I was nervous. <laughs> No, no, uh, no, 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 no. no. I understand. Um, it's not a perfect movie, and there is no. and there is a lot, especially in this initial one that isn't developed. Now, um, legendarily, there is this huge binder apparently that Lucas supposedly has, <clears throat> you know, that just takes the entire mythology and breaks it down. Right. 
have heard anything, you know, from you know, this macro view, just just huge view of the universe to this micro, you know, that the force, of course, you know, we found the force was, you know, a symbiote in the bloodstream, you know, so anybody can, you know, can eat enough Activia yogurt and get the force. But back <laughs> in this area, you know, like, like you said, Jamie, no one really knew it was, it was a little bit of Christianity. It was a little bit of Buddhism. It was a little bit of Taoist. You know, it was a lot of mysticism that was mm-hmm. brought in here. And, you know, so there have been rumors, Lucas, you know, having the entire thing mapped out or Lucas just. I don't it believe up. a word of that. Well, that's, that's, that's a very interesting story, too. Um, and and I don't know how apocryphal that this is, but apparently when J.J. Abrams finished the series Lost and come out and said, you know, we really didn't have a roadmap. You know, we just kind of made it up as we went along and everybody was kind of shocked at that. Apparently, like I said, a pro- probably apocryphally, Lucas wrote him a letter saying, "You know what? I was making it up as I went too." <laughs> so you know, and and I could really see that as things develop. You know, you have these relationships, you have the force changing from movie to movie, and, and especially from saga to saga. You know, uh, with the sequels now, it's it's kind of you know taking a more uh, of a, a wider view instead of just a black and white good and evil as as we were uh, established here. But I, but I think you can just tell from the first trilogy that he didn't have it mapped out because there's no chance that in episode four that Luke and Leia are brother and sister. That that's that's always the point I go to. Well, and know? then and then in Empire, there is no chance that the other one that Yoda's talking about is Leia. There is no chance. That's what Yoda meant. And so really? he's you think so. I don't think so. I, now, I, think, Lucas, I think he's doing, you've made the analogy before about jazz. I think Lucas is doing a lot of jazz. He's just feeling his way through <laughs> these movies. Yeah. Well, he, I mean, he, he very well could be, but now I, I look too. uh, you know, these movies were Lucas drawing from Joseph Campbell's breakdown of mythology. And, you know, you have the, the, the Oedipus situations, you know, the, the familial, things going through and, and even through other mythologies, uh, Arthurian legend and such, you have those relationships that are kind of muddied and then revealed because of, you know, family dynamics, stuff happening in the past. Um, you know, I'm not saying that he did have it mapped out, but <laughs> you can't even convince yourself. I can, I can see, you know, I, 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 I want to believe what's the, what's the X-Files line. I want to believe. Yes. I want to believe. There you go. <laughs> I want to believe. Well, I think we've already done our longest prologue ever. Let's let's start reviewing this thing. <laughs> yeah, let's let's look into this. Okay, now, um, like I said, this is going to have to be a faster, more intense breakdown. So uh, we're going we've to already do failed our failed at faster, more. Class- <laughs> <laughs> we're going to do our classic Wikipedia breakdown of uh, this movie. Uh, Jamie has been so uh, succinct at breaking these down into three parts most times. And uh, so who's going to take the first one of these gentlemen? All right, I'll take part one then. Okay, Sam, knock it out, brother. All right, here we go. The galaxy is in the midst of a civil war. Rebel spies have stolen plans to the Galactic Empire's Death Star, a colossal space station capable of destroying an entire planet. Princess Leia, one of the rebellion's leaders, has obtained the plans, but her starship is captured by an Imperial Star Destroyer, under the command of the ruthless cyborg Darth Vader. Before she is captured, Leia hides the plans in the memory of an astromech droid, R2-D2, who, along with protocol droid C-3PO, flees in an escape pod to the desert planet below the starships, Tatooine. 
The droids are captured by Jawa traders, who sell them to moisture farmers Owen and Baru Lars and their nephew, Luke Skywalker. While cleaning R2-D2, Luke accidentally triggers part of a holographic recording of Leia, in which she requests help from Obi-Wan Kenobi. The next morning, Luke finds R2-D2 missing and encounters old Ben Kenobi, an elderly hermit, being a friend of Luke's who reveals himself as Obi-Wan. He tells Luke of his days as one of the Jedi Knights, former peacekeepers of the Galactic Republic, who derived their power from an energy field called the Force until being all but wiped out by the Empire. Contrary to what his uncle has told him, Luke learns that his father fought alongside Obi-Wan as a Jedi Knight until Vader, a former pupil of Obi-Wan's, turned to the dark side of the Force and murdered him. Obi-Wan presents Luke with his father's old weapon, a Jedi lightsaber. And if you want any more information on the plans of the Death Star being stolen, please refer to our last Star Wars episode, Rogue One. There is so much in here uh, that is getting my mind cranking, guys, about did Lucas have this mapped out? You know, and I remember these schoolyard I, I him off, Dwayne. Is, <laughs> is Vader a robot? I is Vader a off. person? When I read I'm, that, I'm it said Cyborg. I, I set Dwayne off. I apologize. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. When I read that, and, and I was going through that before we did this, and it said a cyborg, I'm like, man, I don't know. I don't like that word cyborg to describe Vader. <laughs> so, but hey. <laughs> But, I mean, did you have those discussions as well, Sammy? I mean, is he a robot? Is he a person? Is he, you know, because I know this was even as we were very first beginning to figure well, out know, how Vader come about. You know, did Obi-Wan, you know, chop him up on a lava planet? What happened to him? Well, you know, I think it's one of those things. If you didn't read the novel, okay, if you didn't read the original novelization and you just saw the movie, you know, you didn't have a lot of that background. You just thought maybe this guy had really bad asthma and that was his inhaler on his chest, essentially. <laughs> you know, uh, so we didn't really know this kind of stuff. Now, in the novel, you know, by quote unquote George Lucas slash Alan Dean Foster, Alan Dean, um, yeah. you know, we, uh, you know, you get that little bit of background about Vader and, you know, this lava planet and things along those lines. Um, you know, but, the, but, you know, I don't think we got the idea of him being robotic until much later on in in the ot yeah well and and two at this point i mean we had no connection that he was related to luke i mean he was mm-hmm. just he was just the bad guy and luke's dad was a different person right yeah now see that's another thing too they were you know obi-wan divided them you know in his description to luke <clears throat> <clears throat> Lucasfilm to Disney at this point because he lies as much as Disney does. Yes, this is true. <laughs> um, but now getting getting back to the movie itself, I'm sorry. I mean, the um, you know starts off with this opening crawl, <clears throat> harkening back to you know the the Flash Gordon serials, and then you see this spaceship flying overhead, zooming into the distance. And you're like, oh, and then this massive thing starts coming behind and it just keeps and keeps on and keeps on and keeps on going and you see these laser 
you know, bolts going back and forth and you're like, what is happening here? And it is just breathtaking from the get go for me. It was anyway, and still is to this day. I, see, I found it interesting to watch that opening scene, the episode, like the next stars episode after you just watched rogue one yeah. sort of play with that. So it was interesting watching, right. this, you know, back to back. Yeah. It really puts that into a perspective of what is going on here. Yeah. Sorry, Sammy, go ahead. I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, you're fine. No, but when Dwayne was talking about the, the, the Star Destroyer coming overhead, I just keep going to space balls in my head, <laughs> and it just keeps going and going and going. <laughs> oh. Yeah, we may have made a mistake not fitting it into our uh, Star Wars year somewhere. Oh, yes. Yeah, we could, we could have fun with some of the parody stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that but that whole scene is really it's a lot of fun. It just is, and it kind of sets the tone. Like this is we're in for a fun ride, and it's going to be exciting, and it's going to be an adventure, and it's going to be, you know, maybe not faster, but it's definitely going to be more intense. And I just from the word go, I'm ready. I'm just I'm having fun. Well, you know, and and if you even think about it, the first dialogue in the whole thing is spoken by three PO. I mm-hmm. mean, that's the first line of the entire movie. Is this? this golden droid, this golden robot that, that, you know, we're just being introduced to. But I think that goes along with that idea. You know, you always talk about and you hear that, um, you know, very much Lucas was inspired by Kurosawa's movies like The Hidden Fortress and where it's told from the point of view of almost a humorous character. And, and I think was he it kind two of got peasants? Yes. Got a, yeah, two peasants who got tangled up with the army, wasn't it? During oh, the yeah. parade, yeah. Oh, it's a fantastic movie. If you haven't got a chance to see it, it's great. Yeah, and and those are, are uh, analogs, you know, uh, R2 and 3PO are analogs. Exactly. That. Um, I love the juxtaposition um, of the dialogue that 3PO speaks along with the mannerism that he speaks it. Because I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but of course 3PO, portrayed beautifully by the British actor Anthony Daniels, Anthony so Daniels. proper and prim British butler type guy. Uh, Lucas said initially he was a like a New York Queens used car salesman. Used car salesman, yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, and, and I, I was, can't even imagine that. Well, and if you listen to the dialogue, though, but it's such it's so different. But if you listen to the dialogue, he's even talking to Owen, you know, when they're being sold by the Jaws. And that's a little bit later on. But he's like, hey, you know, hey, I'm useful this way. Hey, we're useful this way. You, you know, and he's kicking R2. You bucket of bolts, you useless thing, you. You know, but he's <laughs> doing this so prim and properly that you that you. How can you take offense at this? <laughs> so, so let's imagine Joe Pesci's voice behind three <laughs> PO. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, hey, I speak six million forms of communication over here. Hey. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm not sure there's an episode five if that's, a, <laughs> if that's the case. And you know, the things that Lucas struggled with, you always hear adversity builds creativity. Mm-hmm. And the struggles that Lucas had here, you know, not not finding the correct voice for this and just sticking with Anthony Daniels, the guy in the suit, because he fit in the suit. Right. You know, um, he's trained in mime. He could work a suit. Well, don't really want his voice, but you know he wound up owning the character for many, many, many years, and I think he's just recently taken to stepping back from that character. Yeah, I can't even imagine yeah. that. 
But uh, yeah, yeah, you see, that, I'm now, do so you guys, glad they went with Anthony Davis. Yeah, or, do you guys think that Luke accidentally, in air quotes here, accidentally stumbled upon the recording, or do you think R2 said, "I've got to trigger this guy," and and plays the recording himself? You know, it's it's one of those things. We know R2D2 is a smart droid. I mean, he tricks Luke into taking, you know, the. Uh, what, what am I thinking? My mind blanked all of a sudden. No, uh, but taking the the <laughs> taking the restraining bolt off. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm turning my card in now. Uh, so, but yeah, he tricks Luke into taking the restraining bolt off of him. You know, it's not even like Luke takes it off. Oh, let's see. You know, um, and even there's a a book uh, that came out for the 40th anniversary of the movie from a certain point of view. Mm-hmm. And there's a story in it from R2-D2's perspective. And even the whole stuff with R5-D4, he's, he, R5-D4 does that on purpose in the story. He blows the motivator on purpose. Now, see, I thought he, R2 triggered something. I thought R2 was like sitting in radio waves or something. Kind of trigger something. No, he I, did it. I thought R2 was a lot sneakier. Yeah. No, R5 did it himself in order to help R2 with his mission. So according to that story, though, so once okay. again, <laughs> when I see I was I was thinking R2 had 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 something to do with that. Now, if you look at the history of the droids, you know, they, they've come from uh, Naboo or R2-D2 has. He's been with Amidala, you know, since she she fled the planet there and then they find three P.O. In episode two, and he kind of ends up tagging along. He gets picked up. At the end of episode three, Bell Organa, as he's handing R2 and 3P over to Captain Antilles of the mm-hmm. Tenth, he says, have the protocol droid's memory wiped. Mm-hmm. R2's memory is never wiped. I was going to ask you about that. R2 has recollection back Everything he was present, he has a recollection of Anakin, Padme, Luke, Leia. Hmm. See, so, I was, see, I was, I was, I was going to ask you about that because if you remember on last episode, we were talking about K two S O, and we're talking about how they get weird they sometimes. They get kind of weird when they don't have their memory wiped. Yeah. And uh, you know, R two, I think, uh, you know, him and three PO's relationship. I think it's where three PO had had a recent memory wipe. You know, you know, fifteen twenty years ago that we know of. But R two, you know, potentially has not at all. You know, R and three PO's like, what are you talking about? What is your deal? You know, he just don't know how to deal with it. He's like, what is your? You know, and he's even weird for you know the droids to deal with. Well, you know, 3 and R2 are, are callbacks to those classic vaudeville kind of comedian and straight man type oh, of situations. Totally. I mean, Laurel, Laurel and Hardy. Hardy. Yep, yep, definitely. Yeah, because uh, you I know, love all these guys, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, totally. And once again, that to me, that's seeing the influences that George had growing up himself, the movies he watched, the types of things he liked. I think all that comes into play there. Mm-hmm. And and you even have Luke, the clueless farm boy. I want to go buy some moisture, some power converters. Station. If there's a bright center to the universe, you're on the planet farthest from. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. I've heard I've heard Mark Hamill criticized for his acting in this movie. Mark Hamill's brilliant. He's supposed to be a whiny teenager. He's amazing at being a whiny teenager. Yeah. 
and his evolution, even in this movie, you know, to a a pilot who's seen a little bit of action, and then you you see him in the later movies. I mean, he has such a beautiful progression, and and Mark Hamill plays it so well. Yeah, highly underrated. Yeah, and even like it's in subtle ways too. Like after he sees his his aunt and uncles, you know, charred corpses, which that was (laughs) it was kind of rough. That was pretty rough. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. But he's he's but he's he he toes this line where he's he's still a clearly an immature teenager, but he's more serious now, and he's not just you know wanting to get power converters. He's got yeah. a purpose now. Yeah, and never Mark coming Hamill back to this planet. Yeah, but Hamill's so good at that. I mean, that's a subtle change, and he plays it so well, and it's so believable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, so here R two D two takes off. Uh, Luke comes across the Tuscan Raiders, um, and is rescued by Ben Kenobi, and then they have the famous dialogue. The, the the handing over of Excalibur, if you will, <laughs> essentially no, uh, the, the the passing of the torch. You know, here's your father's legacy, and Obi Wan gives Luke this line from a certain point of view. We don't hear mm-hmm. that line from this movie. It's coming up in the next one, but I have always come back to this: Jedi will lie to you, like Lucas and Disney. Jedi will lie. <laughs> So here's here's my take on that. I've got a, a slightly different view on that. See, I think that when this movie was written, that was not the idea, understanding of Jedi. But because Lucas wanted to change the story for Empire, that set in motion everything that happened in the prequels. Mm-hmm. It made the Jedi shady. He had to retcon that and make them, you know, willing to bend the truth. And that set in motion all of the stuff we learned about the oh, Jedi prequels. Exactly. That, that, that one that. retcon made the prequels. And and I know we had touched on earlier. I mean, was Anakin and Vader two separate entities at one point? You know, was it two individuals? Um, you know, very well could have been. So you know, this could have been a straight story, but the way that it progressed through here, you know, it it brought forth that certain point of view. Right. You know? So I know we've already touched on a little bit of this next section. So, Jamie, would you like to go ahead and read uh, part two here? It's hard not to jump around with this one, isn't it? It really is. Uh, <laughs> it there's is. So much. I'm sure we want to do a lot of leaping back and forth. And I mean, and, and hopefully, you know, we're not doing any spoilers for a movie released in 1977. Yeah, you, <laughs> um, I, I, and I honestly think if you haven't even seen Star Wars, you could probably listen to this episode and not be spoiled because everybody knows it's such a thing. Right. Now, did you guys notice that none of us even thought to like mention when we're going to do the spoiler warning? We didn't even think about it. it we, we just, everyone knows that everyone on planet earth has seen this movie. Yeah. Well, you know, and that was a thing before we jump into part two, you know, that was a thing, you know, uh, no, we didn't speak about as we were getting going, but when this movie came out, uh, there is a, a documentary uh, on Amazon prime about Alan Ladd. And he is the guy who who championed Star Wars, you know, for George Lucas. They were, you know, the studio was shutting him down. He was having trouble uh, with his studios back in California. He was having trouble on scene locations. And Alan Ladd, you know, really went to gun for this guy. And he's like, you know, I don't necessarily believe that this is going to be a massive hit, but I believe in you. I believe in your ability as a storyteller. And when this thing opened up, I mean, it was in theaters for years. You know, sometimes even in consistent runs, you know, but revisiting a lot, a lot uh, yearly or, you know, semi-annually 
theaters. Yeah. It's my understanding there were some theaters that had it consecutively for eighteen like months. Yeah, was, and and there and there was showings even you know as uh, Empire was was ready to open in nineteen eighty you know three years later. Now wasn't that where the episode four was added in that re-release right before Empire? Just before Empire, I think seventy nine. Now these okay. have pretty well been released in May, uh, the latter part of May. So yeah, I think uh, around seventy nine was or maybe even mid seventy eight. You know, Lucas would have been working on that, of course. Uh, he he takes about three years for each movie. Uh, being an independently, you know, formed studio, uh, working his own pace. Uh, I believe it was probably, you know, mid seventy eight, early seventy nine that that episode four was added. Okay, I was, to be able to tell I was the thinking it. it was in that re-release that they had added that right before Empire, and we got, you know, the kind of the next opening crawl essentially yeah and what a ballsy move oh yeah <laughs> let's forget one two and three here's episode four wait a minute <laughs> you know where, where, where are we going here all right let me let me jump into part two here yeah go ahead all right we uh we're doing our usual slowing down making long episodes for star wars so we're trying <laughs> to get us moving a little bit all right uh, part two r2d2 plays leia's message for obi-wan in which she begs him to take the Death Star plans to her home planet of Alderaan and give them to her father for analysis. Obi-Wan invites Luke to accompany him to Alderaan and learn the ways of the Force. Luke declines, but changes his mind after discovering that Imperial stormtroopers have killed his aunt and uncle and destroyed their farm. Obi-Wan and Luke visit a cantina in Mos Eisley, where, after a brief confrontation, they meet smuggler Han Solo and his Wookiee co-pilot Chewbacca, who owes money to local mobster Jabba the Hutt. After negotiating a price, Obi-Wan, Luke, R2-D2, and C-3PO joined forces aboard Han's ship, the Millennium Falcon. Death Star Commander Grand Moff Tarkin orders the destruction of Alderaan as a show of force of the super laser strength. The Falcon crew discovers the planet's remains and is captured by the Death Star's tractor beam, which Obi-Wan goes to disable. Luke discovers that Leia is imprisoned on the Death Star and rescues her with the help of Han and Chewbacca in a swashbuckling series of escapes. What the heck's an aluminum falcon? <laughs> and i i don't know why but i can't call it the falcon unless i say millennium first because yeah. if i just if i just call it the falcon i always call it the falcon but yeah, if i say falcon. millennium i can say falcon after it nobody Land says falcon, falcon. yeah <laughs> han han i mean whatever hey you know leah chewbacca, leah you chewbacca know. chewbacca <laughs> And I, think, and I think this is the point where Leia's accent disappears too, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> she about kind of. Uh, yeah, she kind of has the um, Elizabeth Olsen uh, re- accent going on. Just kind of comes and goes. <laughs> Scarlet Witch. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but this is definitely you know where we see Lucas not lingering on anything. You know, they go and they go and find the the Jawas. Blown yeah, up. but I, I think that'll lead him back home, and then he goes and sees the corpses. Go straight back, you know. No, there's no lingering. Yeah. So, but I, I, but I think like once once they they see those poor burnt skeletons, <laughs> the the pace picks up, and then it really is faster and more intense after that. Like it, yeah. like it's like it shifts into another gear. Like it never slows down again. Well, what do you guys think about um, Moff Tarkin, Peter Cushing? A classic hammer horror actor. Uh, and, you know, we have some guys who have some really some history with screen time aside from, you know, of course, you know, 
Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher. They're all new faces. But we have Oscar winner Alec Guinness. Mm-hmm. We Sir have Alec Guinness. Classic horror movie guy, Peter Cushing. Oh, yeah. And consistently cheesy British sci-fi horror movie, David Prowse. Yep. Tarkin's got, he's just got such a presence. Oh, he's he so, does. He's so he, he owns the room, man. It's great. Yeah, he's so slimy and conniving and just, uh. Have, have you guys heard the dialogue uh, on set from Darth Vader? I, no, I've heard, I've heard he's got like a, it's a very different feel. It's kind of a Scottish accent. They used to call him Darth Farmer on set. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's got kind of this hick, you know, out of out of city accent. And we would and, know about that. And of course they've replaced it with the epic he, James Earl Jones. And didn't Prowse get kind of salty about that? Uh, he got kind of salty about the voice, I think, was sort of his beginnings of his issues with Lucasfilm. Yeah, he, he got kind of uh, miffed about, you know, they're not using my voice. And then he would see scenes, you know, where the stunt double, Peter Diamond, apparently was pretty similar in size to him. And he would be doing scenes, he'd be like, I didn't film that. I didn't, who's this guy? And, you know, Lucas, like, hey, you know, I got the suit, I got a guy to fit in it. I'm going to replace his voice anyway. Go ahead and put it on. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I, I can see you being frustrated by that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, there's just so, again, you know, there's just so much here. And there's so much packed into this. You know, you see Vader interrogating Leia. You see Tarkin, uh, you know, doing his sliminess. And here we see, um, is it here or was it earlier? But we see the force being used for the first time with the choke. Oh, uh, it's in here. That That's when we get the, uh, everybody's kind of around the table. And actually you get the first mention of the emperor uh, in that scene. Where he, he talks he has about dissolved, the, the dissolved the Senate. Correct. Yeah. Um, and that's where we get the, you know, the, I find your lack of faith disturbing line from Vader. So it is right at that point where you get the uh, force choke going on. And this is too one of the things I think that got developed more later on is I think it's pretty clear from the way that they interact there that Tarkin is is in the flow chart. He's higher up than Vader. Much higher up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah I think definitely. I, and I think that that's one of the another thing that gets changed going mm-hmm. forward after this. And I think it's largely because the world just fell in love with Darth Vader. And so, like, Lucas was every way he could was going to make Vader more prominent. Yeah. Well, I mean, Vader just just visually is just stunning. I mean, and he was everywhere. I mean, you saw, you know, back at that time, you saw more pictures of Vader and C-3PO and then R2 than anyone else, Any- really. Yeah, because they were on tennis shoes. They were on, you know, and Chewy They were on your underoos. They were oh, on yeah, lunch seriously. boxes. I mean, I think uh, 3PO and R2 had their feet in the walk of fame. Yes, they did. And so did Vader. anybody else did. Yep. So it was Vader, 3PO, and R2 at uh, the Chinese theater. But I think that something that Dwayne said earlier about the um, – the voice of James Earl Jones. I think the combination of that costume with that voice is magic. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. Beautiful. Uh, I've seen a, an interview with James Earl Jones talking about that, you know, and he said, you know, they had this character. They had this actor portraying, but Lucas wanted a quote unquote darker voice. And he says, and what do you get? He said, you get a, you know, a person of color from Detroit, born in Mississippi with a, an extra cavity in his chest and a stuttering problem. <laughs> yeah, so that is the, the Vader dialogue there. But and I, I love the way that Vader is so menacing toward Leia. I mean, that scene where he goes in there with that weird droid, that weird floating ball of spikes or whatever that thing was. Yeah. I mean, that's the hypodermic real, needle. Yeah, that's, that's a that's a tense scene, man. And, and, yeah, and Vader, it's I mean, it's it's tough. Well, you know, and, and I think also just visually, you get a contrast between the white dress. And the, you know, the Vader in black, the, the small stature versus this very tall, imposing figure. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of visual cues there also that, that and, help this menacing idea of Vader. Well, and two, in that cell, it's, it's lower down, like it's down steps into the cell. So he's way above her right. and she, and she's laying down in a, you know, you know, you know, defenseless position and he's looming over like that whole scene is, is set up that way. It's, it's, it's. It's brilliant the way it's set up. Yes. And then we see a planet destroyed. That was a beautiful firecracker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a, yeah. And, and, and in subsequent releases, you know, they have, uh, of course, you know, toyed with the graphics there, the, uh, the CGI, uh, to make the explosion much more, but you know, that was just some stuff we had never seen, you know, did you notice did you guys watch a special edition on this one or the theatrical? Um, I kind of go back and forth. I've got um, <clears throat> I've got the uh, release. I've, I've got this on like six different formats. I've got <laughs> two different VHS formats, the THX and the special edition uh, released. And then I have a, a, a special edition silver case with a, a bunch of documentaries in it. And I have the releases – where there's two discs and one's a special edition and one is the theatrical release that came with the mm-hmm. comic book. Really great find. Then I've got the Blu-rays. So I'm just throwing <laughs> these in every way I, I can possibly, you know, it's just a pot shot with whatever I'm throwing in the, in the player. Well, I, I, I watched the, the uh, special edition this time and I think I noticed something for the very first time watching it this time. Ooh. I think that when Alderaan blows up, they leave the firecracker footage there and overlay it with CGI. I don't think they completely erased it. No, they didn't completely erase yeah. it. All of that. Yeah, Lucas is is great at reusing uh, stuff, and he, yeah, that footage is still there. That firecracker footage is still there. And if you get to watch the documentaries on how they done that, they filmed it. Of course, you've watched those underneath. <laughs> they had the planet <laughs> underneath the firecracker. To give it the uh, impression of weightlessness. So it, instead of blowing out and then falling down, it's kind of coming toward the camera and in all directions. Right. But yeah. I'd always assumed they completely replaced that old footage. But I, they're, it's both, they're both there. I'd never noticed that before. It's still there. He just painted over it, just like the Ewok yeah. eyes when they blink. They, he just painted over them. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Lucas is not one to waste. And if you watch any of the documentaries, especially with episode one, I mean, he's talking like, how can I save money? How can I save money here? How can we reuse this? How can we do that? You know, 
and uh, he is a shrewd businessman. Um, and but you know, of course, What's he's going to get his money? movie right. But of course, he's going to get his movie made. You know, and that's one of the things that he told the guys, and I really enjoyed that. He said, you know, okay, it's going to cost me this much money to do this. How can we do this that other people can afford it too? So, you know, that was, you know, that was like when they were sitting down to, uh, you know, do all the, the work for episode one. And when he, you know, he already has more money than, you know, most countries in Africa. And uh, so what's, what's our views here, guys? Does, does uh, you know, I'm kind of getting off traffic with the, uh, the Death Star, but does, does Han shoot first? Of course. That is the worst. Um, I mean, it's so clumsy the way that's edited back together. It's just so jarring. It, it annoys yeah. me every time. All right this this is my whole this is my my whole dialogue on this. Okay, Han has to shoot first, or Han doesn't have a growth arc. Yeah. If he if he is already, you know, even taking what we've seen in Solo. It, it's almost like that character would shoot first, plain mm-hmm. and simple, and we saw that. He's got yeah, to Ron, that point. Yeah. Ron Howard did that on purpose, people, okay? <laughs> and Which then I'll- we have to have him shoot first there, or like I said, even at the beginning of this thing, we have no growth for Han. I mean, if he's a good dude, it makes no sense that he flies away before the last battle, and it is of course he's going to fly back and save the day. I mean, that, that's not a, like you said, it's he not a character to. arc. Yeah. Right. And, and so to me, and, and, and in all honesty, you know, there, there's lots of, you know, once again, stories in, in kind of the legend side of this, letting you know, because, you know, Greedo and Han, you can tell they have, they have this relationship, you know, Greedo does not like Han already up front. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you know, this isn't somebody Han's going to be like, you know what, get out of my face, you know, kind of deal. I mean, the fact that he even pays the bartender goes, ah, eh, here, here you go. Sorry about the mess. You know, I mean, somebody who didn't shoot first would not go, sorry about the mess, man, you know, and move on. So, yeah. And when we're talking about Han, I want to get back into this, this uh, part two section. Sort of the, the last thing I read there, those swashbuckling escapes that happened on the Death Star. Yes, I was going to get into that. Yes. That's just magic, man. That Every interaction. That whole sequence is, you know, yep. you see him, you see them getting in deeper and deeper and deeper over their heads. You know, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, yeah, they, they, they take Obi-Wan and they're trying to get to Alderaan to only find that it's blown up. Well, that's no moon. Oh, we're caught in a tractor beam, you know, so now they have to figure out how to, you know, disable the tractor beam. Oh, the princess is here. Let's get her. And, and, uh, you know, I I love it. This this is a line that I get all the time is, is, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and I think right there, you were talking about, you know, when they find out that Leia's there, I think that shows you Luke's growth. Because he's figuring out how to work Han. Yeah. You know, he's like, hey, she's, she's rich. rich. <laughs> how rich? <laughs> More than you can imagine. I don't know. I can imagine a lot. Well, you'll <laughs> I can get imagine it. quite a bit. <laughs> well, you'll get it. But Should we go on with the scene, Jamie? Should we go on with the scene or cut? <laughs> but Faster, more intense. Yeah. But I, I love too, like when they when they get there, when so it's not just Han and Luke interacting. The interactions between Han and Leia, 
yeah. are just golden from oh, the beginning. Yeah. She's giving him a hard time. He's, you know, getting frustrated with her. No reward is worth this. I mean, it's just. <laughs> well, you got that. in here, Flyboy. Didn't you have a plan on getting out? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I love. One thing I just noticed this watch, strangely enough, and I've seen this movie 5,000 times, um, is she identifies him straight away. Fly oh, yeah, she boy. sees right through him. Yeah, Flyboy. Oh, yeah. You got in here, Flyboy. Did you have a plan on getting us out? Well, he's the brain, sweetheart. You know, <laughs> I guess somebody has to save our skins. You know, and she blasts the trash compactor. Yeah, she saves herself. I mean, yeah, at the she's end like, of the I don't day. need you guys. Yeah, I mean, talk about women's lib. Talk about female, you know, feminist rights here. Uh, you know, this is a kick tail woman taking charge with these guys. Like, oh, I don't know how to get out of here. See, that was one of the things that annoyed me about the marketing for The Force Awakens. Like, we're finally going to have a powerful woman in Star Wars. Oh, we've and I, had I her. So mad. Yeah. Yes. We've had her the entire time. My exactly. princess. That's a, right. that's a real disrespect to Leia. Yeah. Yep, that was I the only completely. thing I didn't like about The Force Awakens marketing. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it really did. But, yes, we, we have had a strong, assertive female presence for the entirety of this saga. I mean, from, uh, definitely from the second we meet her, I mean, she's talking back to Vader and not. And, and even when her whole plan is threatened, she lies to Tarkin. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, just for, I mean, and then she grabs the gun and she's the it's, one that it's blasts on Dan Tuane, Yeah. Yeah. She's great. I mean, just from the word go, she's strong and she's take charge and she's awesome. Yeah. And I love when they're leaving the trash compactor, you know, and, and of course the whole interactions in the trash compactor, you know, they're, you know, trying to figure out a way to get out. And she says, can someone get this walking carpet out of my way? You know, he's calling up <laughs> your, your, your highnessness, you know, and your, your worshipness. And, yeah. and, you, know, I, you, and I'll, you can see the love there growing. Uh, that's not what I was getting off that scene. But, <laughs> but, I, but I love that C-3PO is listening to all of it. And he's, he's like, oh, no, they're dying. <laughs> That now, my Lucas, metal body. <laughs> I, I know we always talk about the Lucas dialogue and the famous Harrison Ford quote, you know, George, you can write this crap, but you can't say it, you know, and you have that dialogue and that interaction with Han and Leia, and you know that she's, you can tell that she's attracted to him and he's attracted to her, but it's like a 13 year old kid who just can't figure it out. So he's got to peek at her and be mean to her. You know, so, yeah. he doesn't, so he doesn't have to like her. Yeah. You know? <laughs> See, I, I've always had a hunch that 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 sort of interaction between Leia and Han is a lot of what George and Marsha's relationship was like. Mm. That, that they that, that they had that kind of vibe with each other. I've, that's always been my hunch. I don't know. I've never read that. I don't know that for a feeling, but it feels real. Yeah, uh, Lucas, for all of his uh, you know public escapades with movies and stuff, has been a, a notoriously private individual. Yes. You know, as, as far as that goes, I know he's had, you know, divorces and remarriages. He's had uh, relationships with, you know, famous people and not so famous people. I know him and uh, Linda Ronstadt were together for a while during uh, yes, the film were. of, uh, of uh, Return of Jedi, I believe. But uh, I think this uh, is there anything we want to touch on here, guys? Uh, I know I mean, Obi-Wan is taking out the uh, tractor beams here and we want to have a pretty big confrontation here shortly. I think it's a good spot for a break. Are we ready to move on? Okay, so let's take a break, and we will be back with you shortly. Okay, I'm going to pause the recording here, guys.
welcome back to the show. We're discussing Star Wars, Episode 4, A New Hope. Guys, I'm going to go ahead and jump into Part 3 here. After Obi-Wan sacrifices himself in a lightsaber duel with Darth Vader to enable the heroes to escape, the Falcon escapes amid a fierce dogfight with Imperial TIE Starfighters. Using a tracking beacon placed aboard the Falcon, the Imperials follow the Rebels to the hidden base on Yavin 4. The Death Star plans reveal that it can be destroyed by triggering a chain reaction from an external exhaust port. Luke joins the Rebel fighter squadron while Han collects his payment, intending to leave and repay Jabba. In the ensuing battle, the Rebels suffer heavy losses after several unsuccessful runs. Vader leads a squadron of TIE fighters and prepares to attack Luke's X-Wing. But Han returns and fires at the Imperial fighters, sending Vader spiraling away. Spoiler! Guided by Obi-Wan's spirit, Luke turns off his targeting computer. Uses the Force to destroy the Death Star just before it can fire on the Rebel base, killing among hundreds of Imperial officers, troopers, and crewmen, not to mention contractors, general laborers, <laughs> Wookiees. Tarkin himself on Yavin 4, Leia awards Luke and Han with medals for their heroism. 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 That word. Okay, guys. All thoughts? Right. Take so... This. So as we go into this, you know, we're talking about Obi-Wan's sacrifice, right? And so, you know, this is where, where Jamie was talking about, they don't really get into a whole lot. You know, I remember watching this the first time and wondering what in the world happened? Why did he disappear? You know, what, what is this whole, if you strike me down, I shall become more powerful bit, uh, and, and that was something strange. You know, young Sammy had struggled with that to try to figure out what happened. <laughs> Does that happen to all Jedi when they die, Dad? You know, and, and then later on we see it, you know, with, with Yoda. Yep. And, and then you get episode one and Qui-Gon doesn't do it. And then you're really confused. <laughs> I still don't understand it. <laughs> Apparently every Jedi dies uniquely. It all goes back to the Mortis trilogy, Jamie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now that is really true, Sam. That is really true. Um, What Obi-Wan is doing here, and and we hear at the end of episode three, when Yoda tells Obi-Wan, you know, hey, I've got a project for you. Mm -hmm. I know you're going away to this place. Here's your homework. (laughs) And Obi-Wan's like, what? And he's like, I've been talking to Qui-Gon. And Obi-Wan doesn't know what he's talking about because apparently this is a new thing uh, that Qui-Gon had found out how to retain his identity after death right. in the first. And it is um, – apparently uh, there's a couple things that happen and can happen here, and I'm going to get a little bit deep. This is one of the times I'm not going to listen to the voice in my head that is saying stay on target. <laughs> so I'm going to get a little bit off if you guys don't mind. But now – what if we mind? Obi Wan. <laughs> okay. Are well, you gonna stop? I'll stop. <laughs> I'm joking. Go ahead. I'll I'll stop. <laughs> when Qui Gon uh, was was killed by Darth Maul, uh, you know, he his body remained corporeal. His body remained. Obi Wan 
did not allow Vader to strike him down. I don't think. Right. The sword came. The strike came. And you see the garment fall as right. Vader's sword passes by. Obi-Wan surrendered his life force to the force in such a way that it took his corporal body with it. He retained his identity and was able to communicate with Luke later on. Yoda, when he knew his dying moments were occurring, he, you know, surrendered his body to the force. Um, and that was apparently the homework that Qui-Gon had given Yoda to share with Obi-Wan that they learned how to retain and continue to communicate with the, uh, you know, with the physical world. Okay. All right. Does that make sense? After the fact, sure. (laughs) That was in nobody's brain when that was written. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, no, that was in nobody's brain. Let's just make this guy disappear. He's a Jedi. He's going to die in a weird way. And I, and I, and I am 1,000% convinced that that line, if you strike me down, I'll be more powerful than you can imagine, was written to make Alec Guinness happy because he was getting written out of the movie. <laughs> yep. I think Alec Guinness was done with the movie when he found out he had to spend some weeks in Tunisia. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I Anthony think... Daniels hated it. Oh, yeah, in the suit. He, he, he still about talks about how bad not he hated it. right in the middle, being so hot, and apparently oh, they went yeah. to lunch and forgot Kenny Baker and R2-D2 one day. Left him in there, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't think Alec Guinness's toupee could hold enough water to keep him happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that oh. was somebody's real hair. Come on. Somebody. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> but as we see, you know, uh, um, Obi-Wan, you know, sacrifices himself to allow them to escape. And he immediately becomes, you know, able to communicate with Luke. Run, Luke, run. You know, as as he goes and um, they have, I love here that it's a fierce dogfight. But Leia says, you know, for the ease of our escape. That's right. Yes. You know, and, and his whole humongous space station, they send out, what, five fighters after him? <laughs> hey, I, think, I think you see the budget limitations kicking in here. Just a little bit. Yeah, how but many also, fighters can we afford? <laughs> but but this is where Galen Erso's gift kicks in too. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And I so, think in retrospect, there you can you can start thinking about that. Yeah, but so this this is this is where all the space stuff starts happening. So they're they they fly to Yavin Four, have a brief consultation, and they're back in space doing the assault on the Death Star. Mm-hmm. And, and it's exciting. Uh, yeah, that's that's probably some of the best. I mean, we see, you know, of course, I referred earlier to Rogue One, and we see how Luke's position come open. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and we see why they only have just a few fighters, you know, and you see, you see, I think at one point it's referenced as 30, but I don't think there's quite 30 portrayed on screen at any point. No, I think we see a few groups of three. Maybe this, I think special edition, they did add that in there. Yeah. When they were first leaving the planet and you see them silhouetted against the red, you know, gas giant of Yavin. Yeah. You see a a large group there, but once they started the assault, uh, they, they kind of got pretty spread pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And and I I think too, this is some of the best and the worst space stuff in star Wars. Oh, some of it. Yeah. 
Because there's bad stuff. Because there's times it's clearly just a dude sitting there, and there's people on the outside just shaking it because they're just bouncing. Yeah. It just looks bad. I'm like, okay, eh, maybe we should have thought harder about that. But Pull up your other, shields, double front. Yeah. <laughs> but there's other times where you can clearly see where Lucas has taken all that World War II dogfight footage and put it to great effect, and it's just yeah. really intense stuff going on. Oh, beautiful stuff. And I love, love, love when Wedge is coming in to take out one of the ties after Luke, and he shoots it and flies through the explosion. Through the explosion, yeah. That, that makes me want to jump out of my seat every time. <laughs> every <laughs> single time. <laughs> This is one of the only places we really get a payoff with a character, though, with, with like a secondary character. Yeah. You know, at the, at the beginning, at the table, it's, oh, that's what you said when Biggs and Tank left, right? Mm-hmm. And now we get to be Biggs. You know, they're not just <laughs> random finally. names thrown yeah. in there. We get to see Biggs Darklighter. <laughs> yeah. And not, you know, and not looking at deleted scenes, because if you do look at deleted scenes, you know, uh, Luke actually sees the space battle where the uh, the Star Destroyer is capturing the yes. Tantive Four through his binoculars, and he goes into Tashi Station and says, "Hey guys, look out! There's a space battle!" But the ship has already been taken into the Star Destroyer, and they're out there and said, "No, it's just a Star Destroyer hanging out." Yeah, isn't isn't don't they call Luke Wormy? Yeah, Luke is called Wormy. Yeah, that's his nickname. Yeah, Luke is nicknamed Wormy. Wormy. And Uh, I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, you meet Biggs, you meet Tank, you meet another another character, and uh, the only apparently the only other girl on on Tatooine aside from uh, Aunt Beru is uh, was Cammy. Yeah. Yeah, who was notably (laughs) not Luke's girlfriend. No. <laughs> nope. Uh, I don't think there was a line for that uh, position. Yeah, but getting the uh, <laughs> but getting back to the space battle, you know, you see Biggs uh, finally, uh, you know, get a payoff and you know show up and and do some heroic stuff before being taken out, and we're introduced to Wedge in the briefing room. And we just find out, you know, Wedge is just a heck of a pilot, but his ship gets damaged and he has to pull out. Yep. And then, and then the trench runs start. Oh yeah. And the first guy misses because he's using his targeting device, and then Luke has to use the force. That's right. Although I've always wondered. Which no, there's two previous runs. There's two yeah. runs previous to Luke's, isn't there? She's got that gold. I wonder leader. if they just opened up that opening. You know, I just wonder if they just just helped him out there just by opening it up by by. I just tapped it on the surface. Yeah, well, I've always had- kind of wondered. Why using the force and the targeting device were exclu- mutually exclusive? Couldn't he do both? Couldn't he use the targeting <laughs> device and use the force to improve it even more? Well, I mean, he had to have that Superman moment. I know. He had to have that Superman moment. I, I agree with you, Jamie. Why did why did one? <laughs> why could you not have one without the other? You know, this isn't love and a marriage. You know, this. Well, is, you know, yeah. I think it, I think it goes back to when we talked about Joseph Campbell, you know, with Hero of a Thousand Faces, you know, it goes into this idea of the hero has to be stripped down from everything mm-hmm. to be able to go through that this idea of what how to become a hero. And when we lose, you know, R2 and we uh, lose Biggs and Wedge and, and then he shuts off the targeting. Computer. It's his darkest hour and he depends yeah. on faith. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's that idea that I think comes into place there. 
I was just being snarky. Oh, I know you were. <laughs> you're going well at it, and I love you for it. But yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. And, and you know, we need to have these discussions. And 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 me and Sam were, were discussing during the break. You know, there's that little voice in my head saying, "Stay on target, stay on target," because there's so <laughs> many rabbit trips. There's yes. so yeah. much history that that I know I have gotten into myself, and I'm sure sure Sam has, and and you too, maybe lesser extent, Jamie, but. You know this this movie is just so deep and such a a, a treasure trove of of you information. Yeah, you know, we had mentioned earlier some of the special edition changes, and yeah. most of them annoy me, and I kind of roll my eyes at a lot of them. But well, the explosion at the Death Star is one that I actually I'm grateful for. Glorious, yeah, it it yeah. is glorious, yeah, it's, and, it's uh, nice. and it's a cool thing to do, guys. And I'm going to plug a, a podcast that I've plugged before on here is Rebel Force Radio. If you go and look them up, they have instructions on how to blow up the Death Star at midnight on yes, New Year's. they do. <laughs> uh, so instead of watching the ball drop, you get to watch the ball blow up. That's right. I approve. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's a ton of fun. If you ever have, have the opportunity and desire to do that, uh, check out Rebel Force Radio. Those guys are a ton of fun. And oh, I'm yeah. sure if, if you're uh, – if you're listening to us, you either have already listened to all of their episodes or just don't know what quality is yet and, and I'm still seeking. So, um, but yeah, Man, I'm feeling like small potato, Sammy. I think he really wants to be on the Rebel Force radio. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, and uh, you know, those guys have been doing it for a long time and, and it's probably one of my introductions to podcasting and uh, th- those are, they're a ton of fun. And I think no, they, are, they are great. Fun. I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm still just. I think I'm tired. Just I'm, I'm, my snark label is a little higher, but oh, that's you're, cool. You're getting slap happier. <laughs> yeah, but, but we get but we get the improved Death Star explosion, which is absolutely it's almost worth all the other garbage from the special editions to, to get that improved Death Star explosion. But then we get the but then we get the unimproved metal scene. Okay, before we jump into the metal <laughs> scene, I know we're talking about the special edition stuff. Do we even want to touch on Jabba? Uh, oh, is that why we so skipped painful. it? Okay, that's why we left it. Okay, yeah, that's why we yeah, left. Yeah, that's so. Okay. It's, just, we'll just not even go there. Just suffice it to say that it's there, and we'll move on. The best part of that was Boba Fett breaking the fourth wall, but that's just me <laughs> looking at the camera as he walked away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. if we're but if we're gonna special edition something, yeah. I I, I would have wanted Chewbacca to get a medal. I would have CGI'd. Him standing next to those other two dudes getting his medal. medal. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Apparently there is a medal in episode nine that we don't know the origins of. We're hoping that it may be Chewbacca's. That was might have been misplaced. <laughs> or, you know, rewarded later. So, uh, <laughs> well, one of the rabbit trails we've went down many times is Dwayne's love of the special editions, like special features. And we've wandered down many of those rabbit trails with Dwayne. I've got I've got one for us here. That's my my version of that. Okay. So there's a Chewbacca comic book miniseries. Yes. It happens just after the end of New Hope. He's got a medal and he crash lands and he ends up giving it to this little girl oh. who uh, who does some heroic stuff. Yeah, but but Chewie some somewhere in there he got slipped a medal. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's but yeah, so there was a medal. I don't know when he got it, how it happened, but yeah, he did get a medal somehow. Yeah, I think the studio was more concerned with him wearing pants at the time of this was filming <laughs> than uh, getting a medal. If you have heard that story uh, from Lucas, yeah. it's glorious. So this he was getting notes from the studio. Uh, the Wookiee doesn't have pants. <laughs> well, you know, we, yeah. we were talking talking about the medal ceremony. 
you know, with the exception of a new shirt, Han doesn't get a new outfit. Everybody else does. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, he just washed his shirt. Yeah, Luke gets a new outfit. Leia's got a new outfit. And then Han just gets a new shirt. Well, now, you look at the dichotomy there. Leia's planet was blown up, so she lost all of her wardrobe, so they had to go to Target. Yeah, right, right. You know, Luke, his house was raided by stormtroopers and burned down, you know, so they, they, they hit, you know, Target for him too. Han, he had his ship. That's he true. had all of his That's clothes. There, you know, and so. speaking of Leia in that scene, <laughs> does this strike any bells as weird how thrilled she is in that moment? I mean, Aldron got blown up like three hours ago. <laughs> yeah, that is something. Uh, I'm not going to endorse them, but it's something addressed in the Family Guy uh, <laughs> yes. parodies of these shows. And uh, Luke's sitting, you know, the, the character Luke's sitting there pouting, and uh, the character playing Leia says, you know, hey, this guy you met three hours ago, my planet was blown up. <laughs> So, so Dwayne, now you've got me thinking when, when they're saying stay on target, stay on target, they're having to drop by and pick up some clothing. They're having to stop. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I always So, so the gold team had a completely different mission, huh? That's, That's right. Gold, gold leader to red leader. Check it out now. Self-checkout. That's always my go-to now for clothing. <laughs> replacements we were at a, an olive garden out one time and the waitress brought my wife a, a refill on her coke as soon as it changed hands the bottom of the glass broke out oh gosh and just and you know it, it had to have just come out of the dishwasher or, you know some kind of imperfection happened there with the, the the heat and cold you know the ice and stuff but and we were drenched, so we finished up our meal. You know, had a little bit taken off the tab there, and had to wind up going to Target. But anyway, that's where I always go to Target with uh, with replacement clothing. But anyway, that's yeah. not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about Star Wars, and you know, these our our heroes have gotten their awards. All right, I, I've got I've got one question before we we go anywhere, and I got a question for you guys. Okay. Okay. So. If we approach this movie with a modern sensibility, okay, if there was an after credit scene, mm. what would it have been? Oh, my. Oh, what yeah. do you think? Wow. I know I'm coming out of left field, so nobody's got, a, got, got, a, got an idea already. But. I'm, I'm picturing Vader, you know, spinning, coming out of his spin in his TIE fighter, making mm-hmm. contact with the Emperor. And okay. the last glimpse of the Emperor is the last thing we see in the post That was where I was coming to. Yeah, that, that was the thing that popped into my head is we get to find out what happened to Vader because we see him last spinning out of control. Right. And as we learn in the expanded universe, um, <laughs> True. The, the, the TIE Interceptor that Vader piloted actually had a hyperdrive in shields. Your standard TIE Fighter had no shields, no hyperdrive. Nope. So I guess that's how Vader was able to survive the shot. That was a good question. That was a great question. All right. What what were you picturing for a post-credits? I I was going the same way. I was going with Vader. I mean, just the idea of the the TIE fighter spinning, you know, kind of stopping, and then, you know, maybe getting a a hologram message from the Emperor, and then light speed, and then, you know, cue music again. So... Yeah, that was kind of where I was going to, and and like you said, and you did spring that out of left field out of nowhere. I had no idea what was coming. So I think it's kind of telling too with with all three of us that it 
you know, that was one thing that was just kind of left hanging. You just see Vader yeah, flying right. off into nothingness after the Death Star was blown up. So, you know, now he's got to go back and, uh, you know, report to the Emperor uh, they blew it up. Yeah, and you're right, though. A modern movie wouldn't leave that. Right. And, and think oh, about there's so much modern movies. This couldn't. This movie could not be made today. No. Think about this, really. I mean, if we put this in the context of these other movies, all right? Vader has lost the plans on Scarif. Then he turns around and gets uh, Grand Moff Tarkin gets blown up because he can't stop the rebels. Then got, I mean, no wonder this guy gets lower on the totem pole. So who's force choking right? Vader? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Vader's force choking everybody else for screwing up. That's who's right. Force choking Vader. Emperor's throwing a little lightning his way. I got a feeling. So who watches the Watchmen, guys? Who watches? <laughs> Well, fellas, the uh, the medals got handed out to Han and Chewie. I think it's time for us to hand out some medals. Ooh, nice segue. <laughs> Been doing this for a while, though. I, I like it. I like uh, it. So, uh, so for our first award, we did a uh, we went with best character, and I'm I'm betting we're three for three on this one. Don't Sammy, know. Sammy, we got. See, best character for me, the one I look forward to every time is Han. It is. Han is my favorite character in these movies. In this, as far as the OT, I love Han Solo. And it's so sad because I know Harrison Ford did not. Harrison <laughs> Ford felt there was no character, no story here. I've all, and I don't know, maybe I've just written in things in my own head. <laughs> I love Han. He is, to me, the best character. I, I agree completely. Han steals the show. Now, let's see if we're three for three, Dwayne. I am not going to be three for three. Oh! I am not okay. going to make this a round table. You're uh, allowed to be wrong. Uh, now, I did. I had friends growing up, and I never could understand their love for Han. Now, Han's a cool character. He's the cool guy. He's the, you know, he's the, the tough guy in the room. He's the guy's too cool for school. But I always had a soft spot for Luke. I always loved his progression i always loved that he was a nobody from a nowhere place and guys you know where we live you know who we are we you know we are nobodies from a nowhere place and, and so i always identified that was always a beautiful thing for me was that luke was able to be that hero. He was able right. to have this huge connection to the universe, this special thing. That was, and I've always loved Luke. Well, right. I can see that. I mean, that that's the trope of that type of character. You know, the yeah. farm boy who wants to get off the farm and do something great with his life. So I bought the know. ticket. Yeah. Yeah, hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. I All sure right. stand by my crater. Uh, I, I, I think, I think, me and Sammy are right, but you had good, a good reason for your wrong decision, so we'll there let us lie. Go. All right, best scene. Who's got best scene? Oh. God, there's so many. Oh, there's so many great scenes. Well, I've got the right answer, so I'm going to go ahead and give it. Well, oh, I, okay. I, I think it's hands down the right answer. It's when Luke and Han rescue Leia. And from the, from the second they pull off their helmets in that uh, uh, jail area, to when they fall, to when they 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 get rescued in the trash compactor. That whole scene is just absolute gold. It's magic. And I think that's the best scene in the movie. Yeah, I'm going to go a little bit further. 
And initially, mine was the trash compactor, but as I'm thinking through this scene more, mine was specifically the trash compactor, but now I'm going to bring one specific spot, and it's just a little bit past where you cut it off when they came out the trash compactor. When they're making their way back to the Falcon, and they have to split up. And I know we have the swing over the chasm with Luke and Leia, and I know we have this and that, but you see Han chasing these stormtroopers around the corner <laughs> and they go around the corner and yeah. there's the whole garrison <laughs> yeah. and you see him put on the brakes and start running back and Chewie's <laughs> coming after him, bringing up the rear and then you see him come running at Chewie like run run and Chewie's like okay this is this is about what I expect you know right and the best part of that is right before it. When Han starts to yell and chase, Chewie pauses for a moment like, okay, and he takes off. Okay, here we go again. <laughs> this isn't something new for, for um, Chewbacca at this point, I'd say. And, and I see the I see the little dialogue bubble coming up out of Chewie's head like you see for the dogs and the memes and stuff. It's like, okay, <laughs> okay, human, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I right. don't think I don't think Han doing something rash was new to Chewie, but no, 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 no. Uh, Sammy, what do you got? All right, and and once again, it, and I think this is because of my my love of Han Solo. My the best scene for me has always been the cantina scene. Mm-hmm. I love the cantina. I love the the creatures and everything that goes on there. Even to the point that I adapted the dialogue between Han and Obi Wan about the Falcon into a monologue one time in college. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> this is no joke. I turned it into a monologue that I could perform in this this drama class I was taking. Oh so, great. Please tell I've me you still have a copy it. of this. Now, hallelujah wasn't filmed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this was before the internet. Yes, for sure. So there were no cell phones at this point. <laughs> that or they were just in bags. So. All right. So third award, the third medal we're handing out. Best performance. Anybody mm-hmm. got one just burning that they just have to throw out there? Oh, To me, it's Peter Cushing. I mean, Grand Moff Tarkin, every scene is just phenomenal. Do you know that every time he was on camera, he asked him what the framing would be? And if he was filmed from waist up, where it was just a torso shot, he was in sleep pants and slippers. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. See, that's professional acting, right? (laughs) Jamie, what do you have, brother? Oh, I had a different answer, but Sammy convinced me. I'm going to say Peter Cushing, too. <laughs> I'm changing mine. <laughs> and I think the well. slippers and sleep pants helped. He was he was that menacing in that. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm completely convinced. You're now. going there. You know, there are so many great performances in this movie. <laughs> you know, Carrie, Harrison, and Mark all came to their own. You know Alec Guinness is going to bring it. You know Peter Cushing is going to bring it. David Prowse. Um, I'm going to say the best performance to not have an expressive face, to not be able to be physical very much. I'm going to give it to the droids. Both C-3PO and R2-D2 and their interactions. 
are phenomenal performances. You can hear him grimace. You can hear his nervousness without ever seeing a flinch on his face. Yeah, I can agree with that. So, and, and R2, you know exactly what he's talking about, even though it's a bunch of beeps and boops. Yeah, yeah that's that's going to be that's going to be my best performance. And, and the way Kenny Baker has that can can move i mean yeah. just even in the way it moves it says and a lot. he would physically rock the thing from time to time and he would swivel the head you know and, and do different things to give it some life that was just so interesting the way that they adapted to make those characters alive all right so next best sci-fi contribution i know this is a weird one i threw on at the last second so I th- this I, is I, a brilliant one i love it oh well thank you i was afraid i was going to get mocked for this one <laughs> Well, you know, as we discussed before, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars really changed the genre. It really changed what science fiction was. It changed the movie making for generations. Well, so, I, I, I think I've got the weakest one, so I, I'm just going to throw mine out there first. And I, I just think that it changed what science fiction could be. Mm-hmm. I think that the expectations of what it was supposed to be was 2001 or Star Trek. And Star Wars was just something so different. It was such a throw in a way, it was just a throwback to an old style of science fiction. But that was right. not on screen. That was not on you know big screen theaters. And so it was. It allowed sci-fi to become something new. And just for me, I think that just opened so many doors. And I just I, I love Star Wars for doing that for the entire genre. Definitely, Sam. What's yours, bro? You know, I, I think for me. Um, you know, I, I agree with what Jamie said, just the way that it, that it changed everything. Uh, but I also think the technical side, you know, what, you know, what space and space battles could look like. It wasn't, you know, even though they were still using wires and, and things like that on in certain shots, this was revolutionary. And to me, it changed everything about the way that the technical side of filming was, you know, industrial light and magic, you know, was building these things from the ground up. I mean, this was all brand new. And, and to me, so the best contribution to sci-fi is just that it's the, the, that technical side of of what science fiction can be and, and making it dynamic and believable. Yeah. Yeah, my thing with that one was how the biggest contribution, and I don't, I haven't seen a movie that has done it right since Star Wars. I, a bunch have tried, but they've all failed. In the in the words of the Bene Gesserit mother, they've tried and died. You know, they've all tried to do this, but they failed. They drop you into a universe. That's already established. That's already happening. That has all of this history, all of this mythology, all this stuff going on, without feeding it to you with a teaspoon. You're you're dropped into this. Everything's going on. What's a lightsaber? Oh, it's a laser sword. What's you know? What's the force? What's you know? And and they just explain it and show you this universe so beautifully through the characters, through the actions, through the set designs. That is the strength of Star Wars to me. Well, you know, in, you know, with teaching a lot, you know, especially teaching writing, you tell kids a lot, you know, show, not tell. And and I think that goes to exactly what you said. You know, this movie showed more than it really told us specifically. Mm. And and I think to to the betterment of the movie and to science fiction in general, I think that was a a good move. Yeah, entirely. 
Uh, for our last category, I think we should just say our, uh, our our selections. So our last award is kind of a D award. <laughs> Worst Lucas dialogue. And I'm just going to read mine. I'm not going to comment on it. Hokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. You don't believe in the force? <laughs> <laughs> I it love, just feels clumsy. Right. I love uh, the the dialogue can be so clunky in here. And like you said, it's not stuff that you would say normally yeah. to people. But one thing sticks in my mind so much. And I, and I, I was just looking. I uh, uh, don't know why I waited so long to try to look it up. But Luke and Han's screen test dialogue it didn't make it to the movie but this is just a flavor of what was going on and you have luke trying to convince han to do this rescue and you get the sense that they've already had some stuff happening in the past and luke says well the defenses there probably isn't any more than on aquila or solace so they're it's probably based on or their defense is probably based on a more of a large scale assault than a than a <laughs> In a small exactly. scale. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you yeah. can't even say it, but he's just <laughs> throwing out all these awards and all these names. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, and Mark Hamill said, you know, I was reading this and trying to figure out how can I deliver this? And all I could figure out was I just have to read this earnestly. I just have to read it yeah. like I believe it. And, uh, you know, that's the only way you could get through this. Yeah, that's the only way you could get through this. But from the D wards to the O wards to the rewards, our beloved Keanu has to be here somewhere. Hold on, did Uh-oh. Sam did, Yes, I thought Sam did right after you. I may be wrong. Did you get oh, to go? No, I, was, I was just following up his line. But uh, oh you know, no, I, I apologize. Go oh, ahead. That's okay. <laughs> go uh, ahead. For me, you know, the the line that that. I still cringe at, and it has nothing to do with Mark Hamill because he does a fantastic job. But I was going to Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. <laughs> that was my runner-up. <laughs> Every time, I both laugh and cringe. Yeah, let's just get some words that kind of mean some stuff, not really related, and put them in a line. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Okay, I, I'm so sorry, Sam. I thought you, oh, no uh, I thought your award may have uh, kind of tailed off of Jamie's and you were sharing there, but that was that was awesome. But yeah, that's a great one there. But anyways, I led a moment ago, Keanu. How does he fit into Star Wars? Well, this was the hardest I've had to work on one of these, and I was scared because I realized A New Hope came out in 1977. Mm-hmm. And Keanu really didn't get super busy until the 90s. <laughs> so <laughs> I was scared. We have a gap here. Yeah, it was a lot of work. But in pure desperation, I started digging deep in the crew. There was no pass. <laughs> I mean, in deep in the crew. Um, there's a guy named, and I know I'm saying his name wrong, Tak Fujimoto. And he worked on A New Hope, and at this point in his career, I think it was pretty early in his career, he worked as a photographer for the second unit. (laughs) Oh, wow. You did get deep, man. Yeah, so not exactly, you know, a central, you know, crew member here, but he was was active. He Second unit, that still counts. He's still on A New Hope. Yeah, he's on there. Um, Hey, I would have been happy on catering. You know, just put me somewhere. (laughs) But... 
by the year 2000, he had worked his way up to being a full cinematographer. And he was a cinematographer on The Replacements, the football comedy starring our beloved. Oh, there we (laughs) go. Nice link. Wow. We had to go to the crew. (laughs) That is phenomenal. I'm second unit at that. I'm not telling you how long that took. I'm not not (laughs) asking how long that took. I'm not asking how long that took because I know you've had a very busy week and I'm sure this was this was a very, very valuable use of your time. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure that your employers and spouse loved the, the trails that you had to take on this one. Yeah, my my kids weren't thrilled like, Daddy, what are you doing? Why won't you stop looking at that? <laughs> I've got to find a key auto connection, I have Daddy. To do this. Dad, will you stop looking at that and cook us dinner? <laughs> We need to eat. Grab a no. pop tart. I can't fail. <laughs> well, Jamie, you have been phenomenal, Arcano Connections, and and that's just that's just a great one. I love it. So it's keeping it one hundred time. Who wants to go first? All right, gentlemen. I'll go. Got- let me go, go first. It. I've got right, a go quick one it. and an easy one, but it's also a little bit off the uh, off the path for me. Okay, uh, three, two, one, I'm going. Um, this week, my wife, my beautiful bride, convinced me to watch It with her. Um, we've established on this show, I don't do horror. And I had seen the trailers for this movie, and Pennywise looked terrifying. <laughs> so, Tim, Tim Curry is wonderful, isn't he? Oh, no, no not that It. This new oh, one, man. The new I watched the new one. Ooh, Bill um, okay. Skarsgård. Uh-oh. Hello. Yeah, there I'm, back. Yeah. Okay, I'm back. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, but that dude, he, he's terrifying, man. And But the thing is, is, this movie was so good that I got wrapped up in it. And this is not my thing, man. I was planning on like the first scary moment, whipping up my phone and playing with something, looking at something else. <laughs> I, I was ready to check out, man. But this movie was so good. And the kids especially. You care about them and you get involved in their relationships. Mm. And I was hooked, man. I didn't look away from that screen. This thing passed the phone test of flying colors. I never got my phone out. And the guy playing Pennywise, man, I'm going to be transparent with you. I didn't sleep well that night. (laughs) (laughs) It it, it got in my head. Well, that sounds like a great pitch and something worth checking out. Um, I know uh, I enjoyed the book and I enjoyed the uh, the Tim Curry uh, miniseries, but I haven't seen the new one yet. I know we have uh, Finn Wolfert from uh, Stranger Things right. in there. Yeah, so he does and he does yeah. an excellent job in there as well. And the and the kid from Shazam's really good in it too. Oh, I see in there as oh, okay. well. Okay, awesome. I didn't know. Awesome, awesome. So, uh, nice, nice. well, I'll take what well, I'll go off. Uh, I'll go ahead and go next. I'll go off topic as well. Uh, uh, one for me that I kind of had uh, in the chamber. World War Z, the uh, movie and the audiobook, both very different. Um, I'd seen the movie years ago, didn't even know it was an audiobook. Uh, but this was written, written by Max Brooks, the son of Mel Brooks, uh, adap- adapted into a fairly action-y movie. The audiobook uh, that I listened to, unfortunately, I cannot find an unabridged version. Man, it was great. 
it, it had all these interviews of these people who had survived this zombie apocalypse and how they made it through. And you have everyone in here from Alan Alda, Mark Hamill, uh, speaking to Star Wars, uh, John Turturro, uh, Carl Reiner, uh, you know, doing characters in this audio book. And uh, it's just – and guys, I'm, t- I'm horrified of zombies – but this thing is worth a dive and the take on the zombies with the sound and the fast movements and stuff. And especially what they go with in the movie with how they will go for certain people is really an interesting take world War Z. And that's both audio and movie. That's right. hilarious to me. I because me and Dwayne have both been very clear we don't do horror. And Dwayne especially doesn't do zombies. And we're both <laughs> recommending horror this week. Yes. So well, Sammy being I, our horror going, NDC guy, I'm, what, what do you think? had the market cornered. I'm on. going I'm going three for three here. <laughs> I'm going with a different I'm going with a Marvel comic oh this time. Oh my gosh, you <laughs> were all off character. <laughs> Wow! All right, let me know when to start. Individuals, I I, I think so. We're we're influencing (laughs) each other. Three, two, one, go! All right. So this week for keeping it one hundred, I want to recommend a miniseries that has just kind of started up from Marvel Comics called Spider-Man Life Story, and this is by Chip Zdarsky and with art by Mark Bagley. Um, It is a limited series. And the first three issues have have released so far. And each issue represents a decade. And the whole kind of caveat to this is the characters are aging in real time. So Peter Parker in issue one is in the 60s. Issue two is in the 70s. He's aging. He's starting to gray. Uh, So we can tell probably by the end of this thing we're going to see – the death of Peter Parker would be my guess. So by the time we get to uh, the sixth issue and we get up to a kind of a more modern era, um, but it still incorporates pieces of the Spider-Man mythos. We still get the symbiote. We still get, uh, you know, Flash Thompson, but then it also works in, and Marvel does this well, those big historical set pieces, the Vietnam War, the Cold War, and how the science and everything in the Marvel U affects and is affected by that. So it's Spider-Man Life Story. Check it out. It's The first three issues have been great. All right. And that sounds very, very interesting. And I think it's super cool that we've all kind of gone off topic. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that, kind of, that was nice. We've all kind of went off character. So that was, that was a ton of fun, guys, and, uh, and great recommendations. Um, Does that mean I we're mean, hanging out together too much? I want to bring attention. Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. I want to uh, to bring some attention, uh, Jamie. I want to give you a little bit of a bonus time to tell us about something, if uh, if you're game for that, please. Absolutely. Um, my brothers have enjoyed listening to uh, the Nerds of the Roundtable podcast, and they wanted to do a podcast. So the three of us, me and my uh, two brothers have been doing a comic book podcast, and which I kind of enjoyed that because that's something that we haven't ventured into, and I don't think we've really got any – we've joked about it. We've never really on this show talked about doing a, a comic book. And so me and my brothers, I mean, it's – I mean, we're having so much fun talking about 
you know, comic books. The, the first couple episodes are about 30 to 40 minutes long. Uh, we're having a blast. Um, the first episode is already up, and it's on uh, the podcast name is Graphically Novel. And we're covering a whole graphic novel on each episode. And the first one is on the Court of Owls, one of our favorite Batman stories. We all like it, so there's not much bickering. Um, the next couple episodes we've recorded or about to record, um, we don't all enjoy. So the bickering is, <laughs> <laughs> is kicking up a couple of notches. So, you know, so it's all it's all the fun of like decades of, you know, of, you know, backstory and history kind of getting fleshed out in comic book form. So, oh, that's that's cool, especially the, the dynamic with with three brothers. I know that can be a trip. And uh, so the honeymoon's over, as you say, <laughs> after the first episode. Yeah. <laughs> so that's great. So graphically novel. So uh, check that out, uh, guys, if you will. Uh, we're expanding our nerd brand here as it as it be. And I think we've got a few other things that coming down the pikes very soon i hope uh, as we are nearing our first anniversary jamie i was looking at some dates hopefully want to have some stuff up uh, i'm toying with the uh, with a couple ideas right now i'm going to kind of pitch to you guys with one of our next little discussions i think um <clears throat> so that's something great to check out but while you're checking that out maybe you want to get caught up with us for our next quest and in our next quest, is this one of our timely episodes? So for um, the 4th of July, thereabouts, we're going to be releasing our Independence Day review. Um, Will Smith Independence Day. And we throw, around the, we throw around the word classic quite a bit. <laughs> we'll see if this one's a classic. <laughs> we'll see how this holds up. I have incredibly fond memories, but I haven't watched it in a while. So we'll yeah. see. Yeah, it's, definitely. <laughs> It's been a little while since I visited it. Probably, honestly, less than a year. This is one of these one of the movies I know we've talked about. You know, holiday movies, Christmas movies, and things. This is one of the movies I try to pull out around around July every year. I try to pull this out around Independence Day. So it's it's been less than a year since I've seen this last. But uh, looking at it through maybe uh, you know the eyes of a review may change some things. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, check that out, guys. Independence Day. All right. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Keep it nerdy.